With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet wasallam, let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding. Yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet said that no white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet was a true man of peace. Muhammad, one of the most revered personalities of this age. To many, he was the most influential man ever to have graced this earth. The final prophet of God, the perfect man who brought the most perfect religion. However, today we live in a world which has been divided by various interpretations of his life. A world which is perplexed by the behavior of those who attribute his name to their actions. Who was Muhammad? What did his life stand for? To find out, read the life of Muhammad by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, the second successor of the promised Messiah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. And welcome to another edition of Around the Table. I'm delighted to have with me our regular panelists this week Ahmed Salam, Safir Ahmed, and Atik Ahmed Bati. Welcome, gentlemen, and assalamu alaikum to you all. Thank you. In this week's episode, we continue our discussion on the life of the greatest revolutionaries. And as regular listeners will know, the first program we've been focusing on the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Born in Mecca in the year 570 CE, arguably one of the most influential persons to have ever tread the earth. Many commentators have said that he has become one of the greatest revolutionaries of the world. Some Orientalists have marked him as the man that has created uh, negative connotations with holy wars and jihads, whereas others have said that his life is the model life for individuals to attain peace on earth. Our program looks at the facts and we'll let the listeners decide which end of the spectrum their thoughts lie. We've uh, had a number of programs and we've got to the stage where the Holy Prophet is 40 years old. He's in Mecca. 
He's married to uh, Khadija. He has been given uh, the commandment to call to the one true God, Allah, in his hometown of Mecca. He starts off by inviting his family members to this religion. And then he's commanded to actually expand his preaching to his tribesmen. And he invites his tribesmen, the tribal leaders, belonging to a noble uh, tribe himself, the Quraysh of Mecca, who are responsible for the upkeep of the Holy Kaaba. He invites them to this religion of peace and the oneness of God and to relinquish the belief in all the idols. If I can come to you, Sophie, perhaps you can uh, just tell us a little more about that moment where he's now inviting he's got a handful of followers who have accepted him as a prophet of god his family members his close friends such as abu bakr his uh, cousin ali um, some faithful friends have joined him and for the first uh, few months they secretly pray to this uh, god um, and then the the prayer and the preaching is opened up. Can you share with yeah. our listeners what happens next? Yes. So, um, just to re, just to recall where we were previously. So, as you said, the preaching had uh, commenced and been done privately, uh, done on a one-to-one basis, where the Prophet of Islam, perhaps some of his followers, were engaging with the people they know directly, um, rather than anything in public. And that that period lasted roughly three or so years, and. Um, in the fourth year of the Prophet's claim, or his call, um, a divine commandment was revealed, which is captured in the Holy Quran, um, which stated that, O Prophet, declare openly that which that with which thou art commanded. And then shortly thereafter, another verse was revealed, and warn thy nearest kinsmen. So um, the instruction that the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, peace be upon him, um, had received from um, Allah was to start expanding his preaching beyond the remit of those personal one-to-one relationships and become uh, more of a public platform to invite the whole of society and or the whole of his society and to to the faith so with those injunctions um once they were revealed then he immediately he he um followed the commandment and as, as we touched on briefly towards the end of the previous episode he um addressed the Quraysh from Mount Safar, in which he said, he, he challenged them, he said, um, if I was to tell you that behind this hill there was a large army ready to wage an assault upon you, would you believe me? And the people who had gathered to listen to him, they they responded, yes, most definitely they'd believe him, because they've always found him to be truthful. If you recall, we'd outlined that, he, you know, for the first 40 years of his life where he lived amongst these people, they'd um, given him the 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 name Al Amin the trustworthy one just because of his behaviour so that's that was a, a testament to how honest and how um, how well perceived he was in that in his society so once he'd received that affirmative response from the hill he then he then asked he 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 then told them that the army of God's chastisement was approaching and then he encouraged his people believe in God that you may be saved but unfortunately the response he received was one of um, 
uh, mocking um, and they burst into laughter and the paternal uncle of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Abu Laheb, um, he, he addressed him back saying, woe unto you, have you gathered us for this? Just dismissing it. And then everyone else dispersed in a, in a mocking fashion. So that was the first um, foray or first significant foray into to public preaching, preaching for the for the Holy Prophet of Islam. And it was met with derision, unfortunately, uh, but it was very much the first step in the rest um, of his prophethood. Thank you, Sophia. It's interesting, isn't it, that for 40 years, the person that they had declared as the Alameen, as you've said, uh, uh, the, the most tru truthful and trustworthy. Uh, he, he asked them, you know, openly, well, if I tell you that there's an army behind this hillock, will you believe? And they say, of course, we would believe you because we, we've lived with you for, the, for your lifetime and we've never uh, seen you lie or, or tell an untruth. So why, why should we uh, not uh, believe you? And yet when he declares that he's, he's from God, um, the uh, tribe's leaders, as you've said, Abu Lahab being uh, one of the leaders, and also his uncle derides him uh, and, and uh, encourages everybody to, to, to follow suit and mock and, and leave. Um, so for an ordinary person, this must have been really heartbreaking and um, soul-destroying, if I can use those words. Um, but for the Holy Prophet, he was still steadfast uh, and still patient and still adamant that the commandment that he had received from God Almighty that was entrusted upon him, he had to continue and he had to share this this good news and this um, this uh, teaching to his tribesmen. So uh, he invites them once more. Uh, Indeed. Sophia. Yeah, indeed. And I think just reflecting on that, just based on what you were just saying, firstly, I think the, the trait that you see in him immediately is one of obedience. He's received a commandment, he obeys it, and he goes to convey that message. Um, and it must have been a challenging thing for him. You know, of course, he's a prophet, we believe, as Muslims, and and he has um, a certain faith that perhaps, you know, it's difficult for us to understand. Um, but maybe the the approach to his people is um, he needs to develop in in the right way to approach them. So this first interaction that we, that's recorded that is met with derision um, was perhaps not the right method for him to do that. But he had to fulfil the commandment that he was given, uh, and and he did so. Um, so what he then does is actually change approach, and he he instructed Hazrat Ali, which is his nephew, who, is his, who was his nephew and lived with him, to make an arrangement for a feast and to invite his, um, his uh, tribe to, to that feast, certainly some of the nearest people to him, uh, just in accordance with the commandment that he'd received. So perhaps a more private setting, maybe uh, closer relatives, people who might um, uh, open their hearts uh, in in a in a slightly different way because the setting's different you can imagine that's a different kind of backdrop to convey a message to, to the people so Hazrat Ali was the one who made the arrangements he's just a young young man young boy of 13 or 13 years old or so and ultimately around 40 people uh, attended they they ate and when when the meal was finished the holy prophet of islam attempted to to begin his address but the same uncle abu laheb said something and caused the people to disperse and um, again, he's kind of knocked back on the second attempt. 
and he turns to Hazrat Ali, his, his nephew, and said, look, we've lost this opportunity, but let's go. Let's try and arrange for another feast. So he thinks that the method's correct, and perhaps he's got, you know, if, perhaps if he persists with it, um, he'll get another opportunity. So um, he he invites them, same same approach, he invites his re- relatives once more, and he addressed them saying, um, I've brought you brought unto you the like of which has been brought to no other tribe by any man. I call you to God. If you pay heed to my call, you shall become the inheritors of the bounties of this of the religion and of the world. Now, who will who of you will be my helpers? And silence overtook the gathering, and the only person to speak up was that same nephew, um, Hazrat Ali, who said, "I'm the weakest and the youngest of all, but you have my support." And he was encouraged, of course, by that. But to his relatives. He turned to them and said, look, if you knew, just listen to the voice of this child and believe. But but the, the rest of the participants, certainly the majority, they just saw it as a spectacle. Instead of taking a lesson from it, um, they burst into laughter. And Abu Lahab, his uncle, turned to Abu Talib, um, his elder brother, and also the Prophet of Islam's uh, uncle, and said, Muhammad orders you to follow your own son. And then these people left mocking. Um, at the weakness of the Holy Prophet of Islam and his religion. Yeah, so an interesting uh, incident. Uh, you've got the elders there, as you've rightly described, Safir, and amongst them is Abu Talib, who, as we know, is the uncle of uh, the Holy Prophet and the father of Hazrat Ali. So um, upon the invitation of the Holy Prophet to, to Islam, there's silence in, in the room of, of 40 guests. No one speaks up. And then this brave young man, uh, Ali, who later went on to become the fourth caliph uh, of Islam, he stands up. And, and as you said, he he declares openly that, yes, this is the truth. And, I, and I'm and i um, amongst the, the, the followers of, of this truth. Um, and mockingly, uh, Abu Jahl then, as you said, uh, tells his father, well, why don't you follow your son? Uh, he's he's believed, so should you. Um, so again, another knockback, um, and it's not just a normal knockback, is it? It's it's the the mocking of all those there uh, to Muhammad and his message. Uh, it's not okay, you know. We'll think about it, or it's actually, you know, have you lost your senses? There's there's absolutely no way any of us are going to be following you. You know we we're the leaders of these of, of this tribe of this city. Uh, we're influential. You know why should we leave um, the beliefs uh, of our forefathers? I think the, as we touched on in previous programs, it's uh, very early stages for the religion of Islam and. Um, the the principles though are kind of outlined the oneness of God the uh, the bringing to the end of idolatry and some other kind of fundamental foundational principles for the religion of Islam so that's what he's calling his people his message is is quite simple he's, it's a short statement and it's captured in um, the authentic traditions of the Holy Prophet of Islam and um, it's quite a short statement it's interesting just to, to review it he's just inviting them mm. to his religion and 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 if they pay heed to that, he said, he said the people would become inheritors of the bounties of the religion and of this world. So there was success, um, um, you know, success predicted for them, 
prophesized for them if they heeded his call, but that success would manifest both in this world with material things, perhaps, as well as the next um, spiritual success. Uh, but unfortunately, because of, as you say, the entrenched um, in the entrenched beliefs and the system of the society he was in, it was it wasn't heeded. Um, and the only other thing I'll comment on is that um, you know this this short history does capture that the challenge was met by Abu Lahab, who 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 vocally again um, rejects the message and casts some casts some derision towards Muhammad. Um, and perhaps this is like an an example of how society works, where you can have one loud voice, uh, one one um, forthright person, um, and uh, they then uh, perhaps hold sway over a wider group of people. So it's a challenging start for the Prophet of Islam, but um, uh, that didn't that wasn't, of course, where his uh, where his mission ended. No, so he continues uh, to preach uh, using. Uh, different methods. This moment, uh, their prayers and worship were done um, secretly um, and in in their own homes and 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 so forth. Um, and then there's a companion of uh, the Holy Prophet, or someone who accepts Islam, um, named Arkham bin Abi Arkham, um, and his house is um, chosen by the Holy Prophet as a center for. Uh, worshipping and a center for gathering and a center for uh, congregation. Uh, Ahmed, do you want to give us a little uh, background to that? The first center of propagation of Islam was Dare Arkham. During these days, the Holy Prophet of Islam thought a center of propagation of Islam um, to be established in Mecca where Muslims could gather together without any hindrance to offer their prayers and where propagation of Islam could formally yet quietly take place without it, uh, with it being peacefully and calmly and where people could be comfortable amongst one another. For this purpose a location uh, was required or a headquarter was required. The Holy Prophet thought that a place Arkham which is located at the feet, uh, foot of Mount Safa. We all know Mount Safa and Marwa for those who have been Umrah and uh, Hajj. Um, it's the bottom of Mount Safa, uh, Mount Safa there where Muslims could gather together uh, without any issues to offer their Salat and they, where, they could, where the seekers of truth could come where the Holy Prophet would preach to them and explain to them about Islam. It is this very reason that the house was found and has a lot of reverence in the early history of Islam. And just to clarify, uh, just uh, one more point, important point, which I, I stumbled across myself, is that this place actually was there up until the sixth year of, um, the first six years of uh, when the Holy Prophet started re receiving revelations. So it actually has a very important in our history. Indeed, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And and it could, and and as you've said, it, it was the first centre. So effectively, that also could be classified as the uh, the first um, headquarters of Islam, as it were. Uh, and many famous um, uh, companions of the Holy Prophet accepted Islam at uh, Dari Arkham. Yes, I mean one of the most famous one, and actually the last person to accept Islam in this particular place was Hazrat Umar, um, who accepted. But there was a number of other pioneers that had accepted Islam at Dare Arkham. Among these uh, are um, Musa bin Umair, who was from the Banu Abdir Dar tribe. 
he was very I mean, he was very handsome and striking um held and very dear among his family he's very he had a very great noble character um and he was actually sent as a missionary to Yathrib if i'm pronouncing that correctly yeah so Yathrib was the form name for Medina wasn't it so uh yes. he was sent as a as a, a preacher or a missionary to spread the message of Islam out and and went to Yathrib first of, to preach correct and within the same place again there was a number of uh people which we all come across uh early history of Islam which had accepted Islam so uh Hazrat Umar's uh, elderly brother Zaid bin Al-Khattab who was um was also amongst the first who had accepted Islam at Dar al-Arqam and you have a um Abdullah bin Ummi Maktoum who was actually amongst the relatives of Hazrat Khadija radiyallahu anhu um who also had accepted Islam mm-hmm. thank you Ahmed um so as uh, the the preaching continued that that doesn't mean that the opposition of the Quraysh stopped um atik so what what was going on at, the, at this time yes certainly it uh, it didn't stop and um you know before the this era of entering the dari arkam a public preaching as we know had begun and islam began to take on popularity within you know the, the streets of uh, makkah between the ordinary townsfolk as such now what's interesting is that initially the quraysh were very quiet to to a relative extent but um they actually began to worry that perhaps uh, their words were this disease uh, you know would spread further as as islam began to take popularity and that the plant of islam might end up taking firm root in uh, makkan soil so you know there's a reason for this um, and they did attempt to halt its uh, propagation forcefully now there are actually a number of reasons um, that are sort of highlighted that we read in history uh, about why it was that the quraish was so adamant to you know remove islam uh, or any thought of islam from the minds of the people within mecca itself now what's interesting to note here as those or any people who follow any religion um, which has descended from god almighty whenever a new prophet comes and invites people to the right path the world in the majority rejects the invitation um that's why god almighty has stated in the holy quran that and i quote alas for mankind there comes not a messenger to them but they mock at him so we the examples here are very much um if we look at prophet abraham when he was sent the distinguished people of his nation took hold of him and cast him into a fire and this is a well known story uh, a true story when moses peace be upon him came he was also made to confront violence and contention from those most powerful when the messiah's turn came uh, as in uh, jesus christ peace be upon him the scholars of his nace uh, of his nation and the pharisees they put him on the cross and again with krishna ahmadi muslims believe krishna to be a prophet of god when krishna was sent to india his nation stood up and they wanted to literally annihilate him so it you know begs the question uh, what you know uh, would then the chief of the prophets the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him would he be exempt of this custom and sadly um uh, not at all in fact the 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 attitude of the quraish 
um, and the terrible situation that came into light, which we're going to talk about shortly, against those who followed Islam was of the most hideous um, that we have read in history. And we are talking about 1400 years ago. So um, there are a number of reasons which we can go into, I think. Yes, um, sadly, I think we've come to the end of this uh, segment of this part of the program. So we'll have to take a uh, short break, but uh, do continue to listen to Voice of Islam Radio. We'll be back straight after this short break and continue our discussion on the life of the greatest revolutionary, Muhammad. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. And welcome back to Around the Table, where we're discussing the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as the greatest revolutionary. Uh, Atik, you were uh, sharing with our listeners uh, the period that we're discussing at the moment is when the persecution uh, of the Quraysh, the tribe in Mecca, uh, the leading tribe in Mecca, who were against the Holy Prophet Muhammad's mission and uh, against him and his followers and persecution, um, active persecution now uh, was taking foot. It wasn't just rejection of the message of Islam and the rejection of the message of the uh, Prophet Muhammad, but it was um, the Quraysh were now seeing the slow and steady spread of Islam. So they um, had gathered and thought that we we need to stop this uh, happening. So please uh, continue to share with us this what was going yes, on. Yes, as I as I said in in the first part, um, it's revealed in the Holy Quran uh, a verse which says, "Alas for mankind, there comes not a messenger to them, but they mock at him." And we have examples. We have real examples in history uh, with Prophet Abraham, Prophet Moses, um, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. Prophet Krishna, and so forth. So the opposition faced, however, by the Prophet of Islam was, you know, of a, of a, of a very, uh, the magnitude was just immense. Um, but there were causes, before we go into um, the persecution itself, which is, which is actually terrible, um, even to listen to it, some of it is so barbaric, but the, the causes of this opposition, you know, there, there are a number of things here. We have to remember, the people of the Quraysh were idolaters, and they were idolaters of the highest degree with, you know, hundreds of um, idols carved and placed within the walls of the Kaaba itself inside. And, you know, they they loved these idols and it was so much part of their life, almost you could say part of their psyche. It was who they were. And, uh, you know, these wrongdoers uh, or idol worshippers, idolaters, um, you know, placed these idols in the Kaaba, which was actually built for the worship of one God and they would turn to these idols for all they need so here we've got a situation where Islam came along and the foundation was unity of God meaning no idols and it was a clear commandment which the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him um, 
has uh, repeated time and time again to the people of uh, Quraysh and the people of Mecca. In the Quran, in fact, it says, uh, God Almighty says, prostrate thyselves before that being alone who hath created them. So it is mentioned again in the Quran that, O ye people, surely you and your idols which you worship are the fuel of hell. And these statements had blazed a fire, you know, inside the Quraysh, and they stood up united to get rid of Islam, because how could they possibly get rid of their idols, which was so much part of their life? We also have to remember here that, with the exception of the idolaters, uh, and we covered certainly what I'm going to say in the first few episodes of, of this uh, series on revolutionaries, was that the customs and the morals of the Arabs uh, at that time were adultery, alcohol, gambling, uh, pillaging, murder, fighting. Um, you know, they would even write, even though they were very poetic, the majority of the poetry would be related to, um, you know, being intoxicated and so forth. So for them, this was something totally new, um, where they have been asked to shun all of this, everything that's vile, immoral, and ir uh, irreligious, um, and to turn to one God. Now, remember, it's very important, I would like to point out here, that this whole message about idolatry, adultery, alcohol, gambling, and so on and so forth, this was not the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who was saying this or who made it up. He was commanded by God Almighty. This is God's law, Islam, and any true religion revealed by God at its core practices or teaches the same things. It is God Almighty that teaches these things through his prophets, that this is what is allowed and this is not, and this is what is not allowed. Now, moving on, um, you know, the uh, Quraysh at the time, uh, in general, you know, they wanted to, no matter what happens, um, they wanted to honor the traditions of their ancestors, be they right or be they wrong. So again, they insisted, for example, when Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, preached to them about Islam and the one God, they said, nay, we will follow that wherein we found our fathers, meaning we will follow what our forefathers practiced. And the Quraysh also, um, as we found out, were very, you know, they were very um, arrogant people. Um, no one was as good as them, even though we very well know they were actually the, probably the worst of the worst at that time. But in their minds, they were the best of the best. You know, they would do what they want with slaves, with women. There were no rights whatsoever. Uh, if you're a chief, you command everything. You were not even accountable for the murder of slaves and so on and so forth. And um, many people of influence and wealth existed at that time within the Quraysh. So despite the fact that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he actually belonged to a noble dynasty, as, as we've seen. Uh, he possessed neither. Um, so in other words, he possessed neither influence at that time, should I say, or nor wealth. So in other words, due, his, due to his uh, um, reclusive disposition, uh, you know, his humility, one would say, he was not among the chieftains of Quraysh. So how could they listen to, to this man, even though they believed he was the truthful one, he was al-Sadiq, uh, he was uh, different from them, he stood out totally different uh, with purity. But for this, you know, they were... I mean, they were having none of it, uh, literally, you know. Um, they were not going to accept that message. So they were, um, should I use the word, hell-bent on destroying Islam, literally removing it. 
um, uh, at uh, by any means. Mm. It's an interesting point you've made. So there was this um, disposition, I think you've described it fairly, in terms of morals and um, the degradation of uh, morality in society at that time, um, following you know very base uh, human instincts or animal instincts, some may describe it as. Um, but yet you also read in some history books that some of the uh, chieftains of the time um, were more worried about the actual trade uh, and the trade that came from uh, across the Arabia and, and further afield to Mecca for pilgrim. And that's how they made their money. And so they were probably thinking, uh, and some um, scholars write, that um, that was an angle for their opposition as well. What do you think about that? That, that's a very interesting point, and I, I, I believe that it, it does become it was of course part of their um, profile as such at that time. That uh, all of a sudden, you know, where Islam is saying give alms as in charity, um, mm. you know, look after the poor and the needy and those suffering, and here we are, you know, with a, a mass of wealth, influence, right or wrong, you know, your influence. You're sitting on, uh, you've got your own throne as have some of the other chieftains. Uh, you control the population, and all of a sudden, where does that control go? It didn't go to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, like I said. It goes back to God Almighty, because it's God's commandment. So, you know, this arrogance uh, came mm. in that, we don't know who this is. What do you mean, God, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, thank you. So, uh, let's just share with our listeners then. So we see that there are a small handful of followers at that time of the Holy Prophet um, who join his fold. And we obviously hear, uh, as you described, Atik, those who are opposing him, mainly the uh, tribes leaders of, of Quraysh and, and other tribesmen at that time. Can you just share with us um, the sort of makeup of the the both bands, the followers and the opposition at that time, at the early time of, of Islam, the first few years where we see the persecution starting? So in general, it was the um, the people in society who had uh, borne the brunt of that society. So I think Adiksa in his answer kind of outlined the pretty, um, you know, an arrogant people, people used to control um, people who let's let's realize or let's acknowledge that the Quraysh were historically inhabitants of Mecca and controlled it, and that meant that they controlled those who continued to perform pilgrimages to it even before the time of Islam. So that gave them status and it gave them control. And um, with Muhammad, who was also a member of the same um, uh, a group of people, uh, preaching something entirely different, something that actually attacks the roots of that that control and that power that this this power base had. Uh, so that's quite a fundamental aspect here, and that's that speaks to why certain uh, influential people in in that society would immediately challenge what he's saying because he's attacking the very core of what gives them their wealth, prestige, and control. So they weren't the, amongst the first who uh, um, joined uh, Islam with exception of um, his great friend and um, uh, perfect follower, the, the Hazrat Abu Bakr, peace be upon him, um, as well as a couple of other, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, notable people. Generally, those who attracted 
to the early message of Islam were the downtrodden, the slaves and the servants, the women who'd been persecuted by those who were in control because they had no stake in this society. In fact, the society was actually working against them. It was keeping them oppressed and suppressed and unable to um, even enjoy the basic, the basic enjoyments of life without fear of um, some kind of reprisal, some kind of persecution of what, in whatever form it may come. So those were the ones who heard this message of oneness, uh, of uh, consigning idolatry to uh, to the to history, and uh, they were the ones that were attracted immediately to the the prophet's message. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sophie. And so um, describe for us then the the those that were uh, at the forefront of opposing um, and persecuting. The, the prophet yes. to Islam and his followers. Yeah, indeed. And so as as touched upon previously, they, they would have come from um, his own tribe, the, the Quraysh, and, but they were the people of influence, the people who had that stake. Of course, this is, this is the, I think, the essence of the revolutionary aspect of what the prophet of Islam was set, setting out to achieve in that these individuals, they had that stake and they had something that they'd inherited, you know, in traditions, in religion, in prestige from those who came before. And those were the ones who had, who had the most to lose, essentially, because as they see it, they weren't gaining anything. They couldn't see what the Prophet of Islam was telling them. Um, they weren't ready to obey on on faith um what he was what he what his message was um and they, they came in different categories of, of people and i'll i'll just skirt uh you know give a kind of a high level um overview of them but um there were some some leaders within that movement and um some of them however they possessed some kind of personal personal decency or morality such that it was and they desired to deal in, in in goodness maybe fairness even um but they were just exasperated because they they felt they felt that this notion was undermining the religion that they'd inherited from their forefathers and as we touched on upon before you know family and bloodline was incredibly important to them so this is a great you know great assault on on their their perspective of life um uh so that it included some some chieftains, uh, for example, Motum bin bin Adi, who was from uh, uh, Nafal, which was a, another tribe within the Quraysh, um, a staunch idolater, but he, he was known to um, have fair dealings with people. Then there was another category of people who um, who held that opposition, but didn't have that sense of decency, you know, or fairness in their dealings, and they actually had an aspect of of mischief making uh, in them. And you know, examples would be uh, Utbah bin Rabia, who was who was from another tribe within the Quraysh, who was affluent and influential, and uh, other examples like that. People who would go on to to fight the Prophet of Islam and the Muslims in the in the early battles, which were to come much later on, some ten, nine or ten years after this period of time. Then finally, there was um, the ultimate or or most extreme category of opponent, and these were the ones who would be destined or determined to oppose the Holy Prophet of Islam, regardless of what he would say or go and do and achieve, um, and and made it their mission actually to use whatever means necessarily to, to wipe Islam from the map and to stop this, to cut it, you know, at its roots, if, 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 if indeed they could. Um, they wanted to crush uh, the Islamic movement because they were so addicted, perhaps, to their prestige. And uh, I'll just touch on one example uh, from this group, which was 
uh, Amr bin Hisham, who's from from within the Prophet of Islam's tribe, and he was actually later on um, his name was coined as Abu Jahl, which means the father of ignorance, and he's quite um, quite a in some ways an important figure to the history of Islam because he's actually referred to in the in in, in, in unambiguously in the Holy Quran. And we'll we'll touch on more of his life later. And but these are the people who led opposition. They were instigating activities to to, to quell this movement before it got any momentum. And then their their actual um, instigation would develop and uh, and progress as as the Prophet's mission also progressed. Mm, thank you, Sophia. Um I just want to quote from um, Sir William Muir, who's a historian and biographer of the Prophet Muhammad. And um, describing this period, he he writes, uh, and I quote, the new doctrine must be crushed and its followers forced to abandon it. By degrees, the persecution grew hot. So he's describing what uh, the Quraysh uh, had decided at that time now. It wasn't merely, you know, lip service and we must uh, stop them from preaching. It was, right, things have got to the this extent that we, we must destroy and crush the message and those who are uh, propagating the message. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you actually look uh, around that period of time, it was actually um, thanks to the Holy Prophet's uh, uncle, Abu Talib, where the Quraysh were, you could say, somewhat tied up in regards to forcing their actions through onto him specifically. So Abu Talib um, was one of the leaders of a Banu Hashim clan. Uh, which belonged to a Quraysh tribe, and he was a uncle of a Holy Prophet and the father of Hazrat Ali. And um, his upbringing was, you could say, mostly in his, uh, in his during his time. And he very much loved his uncle, and the love was um, from both sides. The Holy um, Abu Talib very much loved him in return. The Quraysh, for them, uh, to get to the Holy Prophet, they had to go through Abu Talib. They had to win him over on their side before they could force their actions onto him and they sent a number of times a delegation to him and because they wanted to make sure there's no inter-tribal disturbance they needed to make sure Abu Talib was on their side as such in light of intribal politics to raise a hand against the Holy Prophet they had to um, their first delegations was that they kind of said look you know the Holy Prophet Islam is de degrading us. He is, um, you know, although he's your nephew, he's de degrading us. He's calling our gods, which people come on an annual basis to make up for pilgrimage from all over, you could say, from all over the Middle East, to purchase our gods. He's actually defaming them, meaning we it's having an impact on our on our on our financial side. And this went on for a period of time whereby they went to, uh, went to Abu Talib a few times and said, look, this, is, this needs to stop. You need to tell your nephew to just stop. We'll give him whatever he wants. There's a very famous quote, actually, um, which Abu Talib said to um, the Prophet of Islam. He said, oh, my nephew, your words are now truly inflaming the people and it's nigh that they destroy you now they are there to destroy you and me as well. You have declared their wise men foolish and their ancestors have been described as Sharul Bariya. Their venerable gods have been named the firewood of hell. 
and they themselves have been ascribed impure and foul. By and then the response for this was is by God, if these people put the sun on my one hand and the moon on the other hand, even then I shall not refrain from the old fulfillment of my responsibility. I shall continue my work until God completes it, or I die in this endeavor. The Holy Prophet was delivering this address whilst the countenance conspicuously exhibited the zeal of truth. The Holy Prophet completed his address, he set off immediately and desired to leave, but uh, his uncle called upon him from behind and said, hey, hold on. When the Holy Prophet turned around, you could see as a, um, Abu Talib's eyes were filled with tears. Thank you. It's just, it's a really um, inspiring incident, isn't it? So you have um, uh, Abu Talib, who, as you've said, um, was uh, foremost in the in the uh, in looking after the Holy Prophet uh, growing up. He he grew up in his household, and uh, effectively in the Arabian um, tradition, he was his protector. And so the the Quraysh and the the leaders go to him and say, look, tell your nephew to to stop what he's doing, otherwise, you know, we're going to just put an end to it. Um, so they try the forceful tactics, and that doesn't work. Then they try negotiating with him, uh, as you've described. You know, they they say to him, we'll give you all the wealth that that you desire. We'll give you the the most beautiful women in in Arabia. We'll give you you know status, whatever you desire, we will give you. Um, but yet the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says, no, that's not what I desire. Uh, I'm fulfilling the commandment of my Lord. And he's asked me, told me to spread this message of the unity of God. And and that quote that you shared, Ahmed, about him declaring, you know, if you, even if you give me the sun or the moon, uh, I, I'll still not desist from uh, spreading this the true teachings and that shows his complete dedication and commitment um, to his message I think what you touched on um, just points to the fact that he was very committed to his mission it was the very core of his being um, he believed and he knew um, that his reward wasn't or he didn't value the rewards of this this life he didn't value the rewards that the world could offer him um, he was only interested in the reward that he believed would, he would he'd um, receive after his life here would come to an end and so these offerings and these attempts to distract him from his mission were not received uh, probably not given any heed by the Prophet of Islam because um, it was just not something that he was um, he was going to be influenced by. Yeah, and um, this one incident itself, really, for my for my own personal opinion, shows um, to me that it couldn't have been a worldly attempt at um, a grandeur, because if he wanted a easy, sure way of uh, getting that. I mean, all the, the, the most influential people in society came to him and offered everything that they had. Uh, and so if he wanted that, he could have taken it that day without the efforts, without the persecution, without the attempts on his life and without the murder of, of his close friends and, and relatives. But he was prepared to um, stand up uh, for for his belief, despite all the persecution, despite all the uh, efforts uh, that were going to be thrown against him.
one more point I wanted to mention specifically in this a lot speaks for Hazrat Abu Talib in this case as well because when the third delegation came to him they brought an, uh, one of the best young men from the Quraysh uh, tribe which was Amara bin Valid and they said hey you know take him as your you know adopted so-called son or you know adopt him take him and you know he's he'll fulfill all the requirements what a son would do <laughs> which kind of shows you as well on the one hand you know they're trying to you know get the holy prophet of islam to drop his belief and give throw at him all the wealth around what they have and said take whatever you want on the other side at the same time they're doing that to abu talib and saying hey you know let go of your nephew we'll give you someone better so-called better okay and even at that stage abu talib said no you know he's still my nephew and he's under my uh, protection so that uh, that speaks a lot for him as well because although he was never a he wasn't a muslim at the time the few delegations that were sent to him were every time turned away mm, yeah very valid point that um it wasn't just the prophet muhammad that they were looking to to entice away from spreading his message it was uh, abu talib and and the others as well thank you ahmed yeah that's a very good point that you make there uh, sadly we've come to the end of this uh, episode uh, we've looked at the persecution that had now started against the holy prophet muhammad and his uh, followers um, by the chieftains of uh, mecca uh, we've looked at how they've uh, tried to uh, stop the Holy Prophet from spreading his message, whether they've done that forcefully or whether they've uh, tried to do it uh, using material uh, possessions. We've looked at uh, the sort of people that uh, started accepting the message of Islam and, and the chieftains and the people who were at the forefront of persecuting uh, the Holy Prophet and his followers. Um, Sadly, it's come to the end of this episode, but in the next episode, we'll explore what happens next, what the next stage of uh, the persecution, what shape it takes, and how the Holy Prophet and his followers respond to this extreme persecution. So do join us again for our next episode of Around the Table. Thank you, gentlemen, for your contributions, and join us again next week. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you.